0: As we saw in our previous episode, there is no doubt that the Bible clearly teaches that heaven is a real place. But the question is, and the question many have, when do we get to go to heaven? Some people say that it happens immediately after we die, others say that there's a waiting time in purgatory, and still others say that it happens when Jesus comes again. Today we'll dig deeper into the Bible and discover the answer to this dark mystery. Unlocking Bible Prophecies Digging Deeper starts now. My dear friends, welcome again to Unlocking Bible Prophecies Digging Deeper. Today, we are going to continue looking at this important topic of heaven. Now, if you've missed any episode, especially last week's episode, I want you to go to awr.org forward slash Bible and there you will find a link to all the archived episodes. You'll also find an opportunity where you can ask a question or make a prayer request. Now, I'd like for us to go on a journey today. Now, as the whole world has been devastated by COVID-19, most people are not traveling at all. So we're going to go on a virtual journey adventure together. I'd like us to go to ancient Egypt. There in ancient Egypt, we will discover the secret to immortal life. And from there, we will be able to determine when we go to heaven. Why go to Egypt? You see, in ancient Egyptian culture and religion, the afterlife was very important. In fact, some of the greatest monuments and treasures found in Egypt were inspired by their obsession for the afterlife. Now, along our virtual adventure to ancient Egypt, if we visited some of those old dusty tombs, we would find coffins nested one inside another. Now, the innermost coffin would contain the embalmed body of the deceased, The embalming process in ancient Egypt involved removing all the body's fluids and then often all of the organs except the heart and then wrapping the body. Now included in that wrap would be placed the book of the dead. Now the book of the dead would not have been a book like we would think of today, a, a bound book like a Bible, but rather it would have been likely on papyrus, a papyrus scroll. And the Book of the Dead, according to the Egyptian religion at that time, had inscriptions to guard and protect the spirit of the dead. Now, Egyptologists have worked to decipher the entire Book of the Dead, and they have found a ceremony called the Weighing of the Heart Ceremony. Now, the Weighing of the Heart was an act performed by the gods to determine a person's destiny. Now, even in today's societies, there are religions that convey the idea that something you do or something you are has to be measured to determine if you're good enough for the next cycle of life or to be able to move on to a better place. But Jesus, who we have talked about and learned about in the Bible, doesn't work that way. You see, God himself freely offers his grace to us. He doesn't measure whether we have done 600 good deeds, but then finds 601 bad deeds and then turns us away. No, it doesn't matter how good we have been or how bad we have been, we all need Jesus. And he is the only way by which any of us will be able to look forward to the afterlife that he himself promises. Now, going back to Egypt, at the end of the Egyptian embalming process, the deceased's mouth would be opened and they hoped that by doing this, the deceased would be able to eat and breathe and drink and speak again. Now, the Egyptians didn't believe that death was the end. They they had a strong belief in the afterlife. Now, in the first century... The historian Herodotus, in his book, The Histories, described the Egyptian cycle of life. And he said this, the Egyptians were the first who maintained the following doctrine too, that the human soul is immortal and at the death of the body, the soul, enters into some other living thing, then coming to birth, and after passing through all creatures of land, sea, and air, it enters once more into a human body at birth, a cycle which it completes in 3,000 years. He goes on to say, so they believed you have this immortal soul that leaves the body and it comes back. It reincarnates. There are Greeks who have used this doctrine, some earlier and some later, as if, It were their own. So it's now that we can begin to see why it's important to understand what happens at death and when it is that we actually get to go to heaven. And what we will begin to see is the emergence of really two lines of thinking. You have the doctrine of immortality conceived of by pagan Egyptians and handed down to the Greeks, which in time would become known as Greek dualism. But then you have the flip side, and that is what the Bible teaches about immortality and the afterlife. And we will see as we discover through study that these pagan Egyptian and Greek views are not compatible with the biblical view. The question is, which will we believe and follow? And what are the consequences either way? And friends, as we dig deeper, I'd like to pray and ask the Lord to really help us understand what we are talking about in this study. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open the Bible, we pray that you would help us understand that we might know what the truth about heaven, what the truth about death really is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back to our original question. What, what happens when we die? When do we get to go to heaven? Let's dig deeper into the only source of faith and practice and discover what the Bible says. So where do we start? And I know this seems a bit simplistic, but the only logical answer is, well, we start at the beginning. In fact, the only way to understand what happens when we die Well, it's to first look at how we were created, how life began. So let's open the Bible to the very beginning and we go to Genesis. There in Genesis, we go to chapter two and we go to verse seven and we will see exactly how life began. Genesis two and verse seven. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now, the King James Version says that man became a living soul. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the very simple formula that is used here. God took the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to notice that it does not say that man has a soul, but rather that he is a soul or he became a soul. So the equation is not really that complicated. Dust plus spirit equals a living soul, or even in more simple terms. The elements of the earth plus the breath of God then equals a living being. The soul is not some separate conscience entity, but rather it is the very being being. So the word soul could be simply said to be a person. The idea that the soul is immortal does not actually come from a biblical worldview and perspective. We have seen that that actually comes straight from paganism. A soul is a person. In fact, the Bible is so clear on this that it really cannot be misunderstood. Uh, The book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse four, it plainly states this, the soul who sins shall die. Now, according to the Bible, the soul is not an immortal entity. The person and soul are synonymous. And since a person dies, the soul dies. And since the soul dies, then the person dies. In fact, some of the more modern versions of the Bible translate the verse to say, then the person who sins shall die. In the Bible, soul is used in one of two ways. First, the Bible talks about the soul as the Product of body and spirit or breath that together form the soul, the living person. This is how the Bible uses it. God formed man out of the dust of the ground. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And what does that mean? He's a living person, he's a living being. The Bible talks about the soul as something that I am. It's always, I am a living person. But secondly, the Bible talks about the soul as something. I have however it is always a reference to life or the very essence or the very core of who I am so we have a soul in the sense that we have life but I want you to notice the soul is not immortal in fact none of us are inherently immortal the apostle paul in first timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 speaking of God, clearly states the following. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16. Which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality. You see, it is God alone who has immortality, no one else. In fact, the Bible uses the word soul over 1,500 times, and never once is the soul referred to as being immortal. I, w- I want you to notice how Jesus himself used the word in Matthew chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Matthew 16, verses 25 and and 26. Notice what the Bible says. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to notice how Jesus uses the word life and soul interchangeably. Soul is never immortal in the Bible. It is a description of the very life of an individual, but not some separate immortal entity. I mean, Job chapter four and verse 17 is quite clear when it says this. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? You see, man is called mortal, not immortal. In fact, Romans two seven aptly points out and clearly points out this reality. Romans chapter 2 and verse 7. It says this. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and... What's the word there? And... Immortality. Now, if you read that too fast, you miss it. But I want you to take note. The verse clearly states that we are to seek immortality. Now, friend, let me ask you this question. Why would we need to seek immortality if we already possess it? It is because the Bible is clear. We are not naturally immortal. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, tells us that someday that will happen. But I want you to notice how it describes that happening. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Did you hear those words? Did you hear the clear words of scripture? We must put on immortal life. When does the Bible say that that will happen? At the last trumpet. When is that last trumpet blown? 1 Thessalonians 4 leaves little doubt in our mind as to when this event will take place. This event takes place at the second coming of Jesus. The Bible says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and listen now, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible is clear, friends. Immortality is not granted to humanity until when? Until the second coming of Jesus. You see, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are alone in their possession of eternal life. It is not something we inherently have, and we are not given it at death either. The Bible says we are only given that immortality at the second coming. You see, unfortunately, my dear friends, pagan and Greek dualism entered the Christian church and other religions brought with them the false teaching that the body and the soul are separate entity and that the soul exists eternally. But we're seeing very clearly that the Bible delineates that we are a soul, we are a living being, and we are mortal. You know, there's a quote that I find quite fascinating from Strabo. He was an ancient Greek historian and philosopher, and he was speaking about Christians in his book, Geographica. And he said this, they invent fables also after the manner of Plato on the immortality of the soul and on the punishment in Hades or hell and other things of this kind. You see, early Christian writer Justin Martyr, who lived just one generation after the disciples of Jesus, said these words If you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but who do not admit this truth of the resurrection, and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, who say there is no resurrection of the dead, and that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. Justin Martyr had strong words about an error that entered the church in its very early days. He himself is demonstrating the biblical understanding that the soul is a living person, and a person is mortal, and a person shall die. So if the Christian church did not teach that a person would be taken immediately to heaven after death, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach about death itself? Friends, what we find is that the Bible teaches that death is simply an unconscious sleep from which the only thing that can arouse us from that sleep is the power of Jesus when he comes again to take us home. My dear friend, As a student of the Bible, we must look at what the Bible says, not what tradition says, not what our parents have told us, not what our grandparents have told us. We must look to the Bible. And when we look at the Bible, the Bible describes death as merely creation in reverse. Notice what Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 Here's what the Bible says. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. In ancient Hebrew, the word for spirit and the word for breath are the exact same word. It is the Hebrew word ruach. The spirit or the breath is simply a reference to God's life-giving power. When we die, that life-giving power is returned to God, and then we simply cease to exist in any capacity. We simply peacefully sleep until the power of Jesus wakes us up. Notice, notice what Job, Job chapter 27 and verse 3 says. Job chapter 27 and verse 3 it uses the words spirit and breath interchangeably. In fact, in the King James Version, as well as other versions, it says this, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. You see, this interchangeable use demonstrates to us that the spirit or breath is God's life-giving power and we cannot live without it. James 2.26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You see, there's no in-between state. There's no spirit life. Once we die, we are dead awaiting the wake-up call of Jesus Christ. Probably one of the best illustrations is comparing this to a box. And some of you might say, a box? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what do you need to build a box? Well, you need some boards, and then you'll need some nails. The formula and the plan for building a box is rather easy. Boards plus nails equals a box. If you take away the nails, you simply have boards. If you take away the boards, you simply have nails. Without both components, the box doesn't exist. The box simply ceases to exist. When we die, we rest. We are not a living being anymore. We no longer have life. We simply cease to to exist. There is no conscious thought. There are no processes going on in the mind. That does not return until the day that Jesus Christ comes again and wakes you up. And if you've been a follower of him, then in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as the Bible describes it, when Jesus comes back, you will be resurrected from the dead and you will be transformed. What is it that the dead do while they are dead? Do they really just sleep? Psalm 146. Psalm 146 in verse 4 answers this question for us in very, very clear tones. What does it say? His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. You see, when a person dies, they are sleeping. Their thoughts perish. There's no conscience existence there. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses five and six offer further insight. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. The dead know nothing. Their thoughts stop. Their emotions stop. Why? Because, dear friends, death is a sleep. And as a sleep, it is where we wait unconsciously for Jesus. Friends, I say thank God. Thank God that your dead loved ones, that my dead loved ones, Do not have to see the sorrows of your life and my life. Your loved ones that died of cancer no longer suffer, but they are sleeping, resting until the day of the resurrection when Jesus will wake them up again. We are thankful that death is not the end. You will again see that husband that died in Jesus. You again will see that wife that died in Jesus. You will see that son who died in Jesus Jesus is coming again and they will be a powerful testimony to the resurrection power and on that day, they will be resurrected from the dead and they will be resurrected with immortality placed upon them if they've been believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We who are alive and remained will also receive immortal bodies and we will be caught up together with them to meet Jesus Christ in the air. Death is but a sleep. And you will find that throughout the Psalms. Even King David called it a sleep in Psalm 13.3 when he said, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Psalm 115, 17 says, the dead do not praise the Lord nor any who go down into silence. Psalm 6, 5 says, for in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will give you thanks. My dear friends, death is asleep, awaiting the wake up call of the last trumpet of God, the second coming of Jesus when this mortal will Put on immortality and we will be with Jesus forever. Now, I know, dear friend, that this topic today may be new to you. Maybe it's a bit unsettling. I will tell you the first time that I began to understand this topic as I studied the Bible, it was, it was unsettling for me. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to study your Bible on this topic. I want you to ask in sincerity for the Holy Spirit to give you guidance. And even if it is difficult for you to accept, God will give you the strength and peace as he guides you into his truth. Now, I know there are a lot of questions. Well, but pastor, what about the thief on the cross? Pastor, what about Lazarus? And what about those, pastor, who said that they've had near-death experiences? We'll be talking about all these things in upcoming episodes. So you want to stay connected with us and don't miss out. But I want to end today with something that each of us can know with absolute certainty. The Bible is clear. God is love and does not mean any of us any harm. He loves us with an everlasting love and he wants you to know That with certainty. You know, Jesus promises that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. As you accept biblical truth, you can be free from worry about what has happened to your mother or your father when they died. You can be free from worry about that little baby that slipped from your arms. You don't have to wonder what death will be like for you. You can simply trust your life and the lives of those that you love in the the loving arms of a merciful savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus will not forget them. Jesus will not forget you. You can trust in Jesus, the one who also laid in the grave. But he did not stay in the grave. He came forth from that grave as a great conqueror. Jesus Christ, my dear friends, bore the penalty of your sin and mine and he paved the path to heaven. Jesus spoke these words to Martha who is grieving the death of her brother, Lazarus. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Today, my dear friend, will you trust him? Will you trust him who is the resurrection and the life? Will you entrust yourself fully to him because he desires to be in a forever friendship with you? You can trust Jesus. Friend, I want you to today let me know that you're entrusting your life with him. Wherever you're watching, just leave a comment and let us know, I'm choosing Jesus today. Maybe you're sensing a deeper need for a deeper commitment. You want to experience a total life transformation and you want to be baptized. Friends, I want you to head over to awr.org forward slash Bible and let us know. Click on the I have a question and simply ask. How can I be baptized? My dear friends, choose Jesus today. The one who holds us in his loving arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the truth of the Bible. We are so thankful we don't have to worry about death. We're so thankful we don't have to worry about our loved ones who have died. We are so thankful that you hold each of us in your everlasting arms Someday, when your son Jesus comes, he will place upon us that immortality that we will never part again. Lord, we pray that that day would happen soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My dear friends, God bless all of you. I truly hope that this program has touched your heart. Remember, I... If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button to this video. Click on that subscribe button and and then just click that bell next to it so you can be notified of upcoming topics. And remember, don't forget to go to awr.org forward slash Bible. Check out all the resources that we have there. And most especially, sign up for one of our online Zoom Bible studies. We want to stay connected with you. Not only do we not want you to miss an episode of Unlocking Bible Prophecies, Digging Deeper, We want you to become part of the Unlocking Bible Prophecies family. Remember, dear friends, there are many who purport to know the future. There's only one Sherwood prophecy, and that is this book. Together, we'll continue to dig deep in Unlocking Bible Prophecies, Digging Deeper. God bless you.
1: enjoyed listening to the end-time prophetic events, whether you've never before opened a Bible or have been studying it all your life, you'll gain new insights from this series. By looking at Revelation and Daniel as well as other books of the Bible, you'll find that the Bible itself clearly unlocks the mysteries of Bible prophecies. This will transform what may feel like a confusing book into something clear and understandable. If you want to learn more Bible truth, or ask a Bible question, or perhaps find freedom, healing, and hope in Jesus, please give us a call. Our WhatsApp number is one We are certain that you'll gain a deeper understanding of Jesus' love for you and emerge with an even closer relationship with Him. For more information, visit us on the web at bible.awr.org or send us an email at bible.awr.org.
0: As we saw in our previous episode, there is no doubt that the Bible clearly teaches that heaven is a real place. But the question is, and the question many have, when do we get to go to heaven? Some people say that it happens immediately after we die. Others say that there's a waiting time in purgatory, and still others say that it happens when Jesus comes again. Today we'll dig deeper into the Bible and discover the answer to this dark mystery. Unlocking Bible Prophecies Digging Deeper starts now. My dear friends, welcome again to Unlocking Bible Prophecies Digging Deeper. Today, we are going to continue looking at this important topic of heaven. Now, if you've missed any episode, especially last week's episode, I want you to go to awr.org forward slash Bible, and there you will find a link to all the archived episodes. You'll also find an opportunity where you can ask a question or make a prayer request. Now, I'd like for us to go on a journey today. Now, as the whole world has been devastated by COVID-19, most people are not traveling at all. So we're going to go on a virtual adventure together. I'd like us to go to ancient Egypt. There in ancient Egypt, we will discover the secret to immortal life. And from there, we will be able to determine when we go to heaven. Why go to Egypt? You see, in ancient Egypt, Egyptian culture and religion. The afterlife was very important. In fact, some of the greatest monuments and treasures found in Egypt were inspired by their obsession for the afterlife. Now, along our virtual adventure to ancient Egypt, if we visited some of those old dusty tombs, we would find coffins nested one inside another. Now, the innermost coffin would contain the embalmed body of the deceased. The embalming process in ancient Egypt involved removing all the body's fluids and then often all of the organs except the heart and then wrapping the body. Now, included in that wrap would be placed the Book of the Dead. Now, the Book of the Dead would not have been a book like we would think of today, a, a bound book like a Bible, but rather it would have been likely on papyrus, a papyrus scroll, And the Book of the Dead, according to the Egyptian religion at that time, had inscriptions to guard and protect the spirit of the dead. Now, Egyptologists have worked to decipher the entire Book of the Dead, and they have found a ceremony called the Weighing of the Heart Ceremony. Now, the Weighing of the Heart was an act performed by the gods to determine a person's destiny. Now, even in today's societies... There are religions that convey the idea that something you do or something you are has to be measured to determine if you're good enough for the next cycle of life or to be able to move on to a better place. But Jesus, who we have talked about and learned about in the Bible, doesn't work that way. You see, God himself freely offers his grace to us. He doesn't measure whether we have done 600 good deeds, but then finds 601 bad deeds and then turns us away. No, it doesn't matter how good we have been or how bad we have been. We all need Jesus. And he is the only way by which any of us will be able to look forward to the afterlife that he himself promises. Now, going back to Egypt, at the end of the Egyptian embalming process. The deceased's mouth would be opened, and they hoped that by doing this, the deceased would be able to eat and breathe and drink and speak again. Now, the Egyptians didn't believe that death was the end. They they had a strong belief in the afterlife. Now, in the first century, the historian Herodotus, in his book, The Histories, described the Egyptian cycle of life and he said this, the Egyptians were the first who maintained the following doctrine too, that the human soul is immortal and at the death of the body, the soul, enters into some other living thing, then coming to birth and after passing through all creatures of land, sea and air, it enters once more into a human body at birth, a cycle which it completes in 3,000 years. He goes on to say, so they believed you have this immortal soul that leaves the body and it comes back, it reincarnates. There are Greeks who have used this doctrine, some earlier and some later, as if it were their own. So it's now that we can begin to see why it's important to understand what happens at death and when it is that we actually get to go to heaven. And what we will begin to see is the emergence of really two lines of thinking You have the doctrine of immortality conceived of by pagan Egyptians and handed down to the Greeks, which in time would become known as Greek dualism. But then you have the flip side, and that is what the Bible teaches about immortality and the afterlife. And we will see as we discover through study that these pagan Egyptian and Greek views are not compatible with the biblical view. The question is, which Will we believe and follow? And what are the consequences either way? And friends, as we dig deeper, I'd like to pray and ask the Lord to really help us understand what we are talking about in this study. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open the Bible, we pray that you would help us understand that we might know what the truth about heaven, what the truth about death really is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back to our original question. What, what happens when we die? When do we get to go to heaven? Let's dig deeper into the only source of faith and practice and discover what the Bible says. So where do we start? And I know this seems a bit simplistic, but the only logical answer is, well, we start at the beginning. In fact, the only way to understand what happens when we die, well, is to first look at how we were created, how life began. So let's open the Bible to the very beginning. And we go to Genesis There in Genesis, we go to chapter two and we go to verse seven and we will see exactly how life began. Genesis two and verse seven. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now, the King James Version says that man became a living soul. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the very simple formula that is used here. God took the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to notice that it does not say that man has a soul, but rather that he is a soul or he became a soul. So the equation is not really that complicated. Dust plus spirit equals a living soul, or even in more simple terms. The elements of the earth... Plus, the breath of God then equals a living being. The soul is not some separate conscience entity, but rather it is the very being. So this word soul could be simply said to be a person. The idea that the soul is immortal does not actually come from a biblical worldview and perspective. We have seen that that actually comes straight from paganism. A soul is a person. In fact, the Bible is so clear on this that it really cannot be misunderstood. The book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. Well, it plainly states this: the soul who sins shall die. Now, according to the Bible, the soul is not an immortal entity the person and soul are synonymous. And since a person dies, the soul dies. And since the soul dies, then the person dies. In fact, some of the more modern versions of the Bible translate the verse to say, then the person who sins shall die. In the Bible, soul is used in one of two ways. First, the Bible talks about the soul as the product of body and spirit, or breath, that together form the soul, the living person. This is how the Bible uses it. God formed man out of the dust of the ground, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And what does that mean? He's a living person, he's a living being. The Bible talks about the soul as something that I am. It's always, I am a living person. But secondly, the Bible talks about the soul as something I have. However, it is always a reference to life or the very essence or the very core of who I am. So we have a soul in the sense that we have life. But I want you to notice the soul is not immortal. In fact, none of us are inherently immortal. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, speaking of God, clearly states The following, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality. You see, it is God alone who has immortality, no one else. In fact, the Bible uses the word soul over 1,500 times, and never once is the soul referred to as being immortal. I I want you to notice how Jesus himself used the word in Matthew chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26. Notice what the Bible says. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to notice how Jesus uses the word life and soul interchangeably. Soul is never immortal in the Bible. It is a description of the very life of an individual, but not some separate immortal entity. I mean, Job chapter 4 and verse 17 is quite clear when it says this, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? You see, man is called mortal, not immortal. In fact, Romans two seven aptly points out and clearly points out this reality. Romans chapter two and verse seven. It says this, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and what's the word there? and immortality. Now, if you read that too fast, you miss it. But I want you to take note. The verse clearly states that we are to seek immortality. Now, friend, let me ask you this question. Why would we need to seek immortality if we already possess it? It is because the Bible is clear. We are not naturally immortal. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us tells us that someday that will happen. But I want you to notice how it describes that happening. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 51 to 53, behold I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Did you hear those words? Did you hear the clear words of scripture? We must put on immortal life. When does the Bible say that that will happen? At the last trumpet. When is that last trumpet blown? 1 Thessalonians 4 leaves little doubt in our mind as to when this event will take place. This event takes place at the second coming of Jesus. The Bible says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and listen now, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible is clear, friends. Immortality is not granted to humanity until... When? Until the second coming of Jesus. You see, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are alone in their possession of eternal life. It is not something we inherently have, and we are not given it at death either. The Bible says we are only given that immortality at the second coming. You see, unfortunately, my dear friends, pagan and Greek dualism entered the Christian church, and other religions brought with them the false teaching that the body and the soul are separate entity and that the soul exists eterni- eternally. But we're seeing very clearly that the Bible delineates that we are a soul, we are a living being, and we are mortal. You know, there's a quote that I find quite fascinating from Strabo. He was an ancient Greek historian and philosopher, and he was speaking about Christians in his book, Geographica. And he said this, They invent fables also after the manner of Plato on the immortality of the soul and on the punishment in Hades or hell and other things of this kind. You see, early Christian writer Justin Martyr, who lived just one generation after the disciples of Jesus, said these words. If you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but who do not admit this truth of the resurrection and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, who say there is no resurrection of the dead and that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. Justin Martyr had strong words about an error that entered the church in its very early days. He himself is demonstrating the biblical understanding that the soul is a living person and a person is mortal and a person shall die. So if the Christian church did not teach that a person would be taken immediately to heaven after death, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach about death itself? Friends, what we find is that the Bible teaches that death is simply an unconscious sleep from which the only thing that can arouse us from that sleep is the power of Jesus when he comes again to take us home. My dear friend, as a student of the Bible, we must look at what the Bible says, not what tradition says, not what our parents have told us, not what our grandparents have told us. We must look to the Bible, and when we look at the Bible, the Bible describes death as merely creation in, Reverse. Notice what Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. Here's what the Bible says. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. In ancient Hebrew, the word for spirit and the word for breath are the exact same word. It is the Hebrew word ruach. The spirit or the breath is simply a reference to God's life-giving power. When we die, that life-giving power is returned to God and then we simply cease to exist in any capacity. We simply peacefully sleep until the power of Jesus wakes us up. Notice, notice what Job, Job chapter 27 and verse three says. Job chapter 27 and verse three it uses the words spirit and breath interchangeably. In fact, in the King James Version, as well as other versions, it says this, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. You see, this interchangeable use demonstrates to us that the spirit or breath is God's life-giving power and we cannot live without it. James 2.26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You see, there's no in-between state there's no spirit life. Once we die, we are dead, awaiting the wake up call of Jesus Christ. Probably one of the best illustrations is comparing this to a box. And some of you might say, A box? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what do you need to build a box? Well, you need some boards, and then you'll need some nails. The formula and the plan for building a box is rather easy boards plus nails equals a box. If you take away the nails, you simply have boards. If you take away the boards, you simply have nails. Without both components, the box doesn't exist. The box simply ceases to exist. When we die, we rest. We are not a living being anymore. We no longer have life. We simply cease to exist. There is no conscious thought. There are no processes going on in the mind. That does not return until the day that Jesus Christ comes again and wakes you up. And if you've been a follower of him, then in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as the Bible describes it, when Jesus comes back, you will be resurrected from the dead and you will be transformed. What is it that the dead do while they are dead? Do they really just sleep? Psalm 146. Psalm 146 in verse 4 answers this question for us in very, very, Very clear tones. What does it say? His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. You see, when a person dies, they are sleeping. Their thoughts perish. There's no conscience existence there. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses five and six offer further insight. For the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. The dead know nothing. Their thoughts stop. Their emotions stop. Why? Because, dear friends, death is asleep. And as a sleep, it is where we wait unconsciously for Jesus. Friends, I say thank God. Thank God that your dead loved ones, that my dead loved ones, do not have to see the sorrows of your life and my life. Your loved ones that died of cancer, no longer suffer, but they are sleeping, resting until the day of the resurrection when Jesus will wake them up again. We are thankful that death is not the end. You will again see that husband that died in Jesus. You again will see that wife that died in Jesus. You will see that son who died in Jesus. Jesus is coming again and they will be a powerful testimony to the resurrection power. And on that day, they will be resurrected from the dead and they will be resurrected with immortality placed upon them if they've been believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We who are alive and remained, will also receive immortal bodies and we will be caught up together with them to meet Jesus Christ in the air. Death is but a sleep. And you will find that throughout the Psalms. Even King David called it a sleep in Psalm 13.3 when he said, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Psalm 115.17 says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Psalm 6, 5 says, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? My dear friends, death is asleep, awaiting the wake-up call of the last trumpet of God, the second coming of Jesus, when this mortal will put on immortality and we will be with Jesus forever. Now I know, dear friend, that this topic today maybe new to you, maybe it's a bit unsettling. I will tell you the first time that I began to understand this topic as I studied the Bible, it was was unsettling for me. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to study your Bible on this topic. I want you to ask in sincerity for the Holy Spirit to give you guidance. And even if it is difficult for you to accept, God will give you the strength and peace as he guides you into his truth. Now, I know there are a lot of questions. Well, but pastor, what about the thief on the cross? Pastor, what about Lazarus? And what about those, pastor, who said that they've had near-death experiences? We'll be talking about all these things in upcoming episodes. So you wanna stay connected with us and don't miss out. But I wanna end today with something that each of us can know with absolute certainty. The Bible is clear. God is love and does not mean any of us any harm. He loves us with an everlasting love and he wants you to know that with certainty. You know, Jesus promises that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. As you accept biblical truth, you can be free from worry about what has happened to your mother or your father when they died. You can be free from worry about that little baby that slipped from your arms. You don't have to wonder what death will be like for you. You can simply trust your life and the lives of those that you love in the the loving arms of a merciful savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus will not forget them. Jesus will not forget you. You can trust in Jesus, the one who also laid in the grave but he did not stay in the grave. He came forth from that grave as a great conqueror. Jesus Christ, my dear friends, bore the penalty of your sin and mine and he paved the path to heaven. Jesus spoke these words to Martha who was grieving the death of her brother Lazarus and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Today, my dear friend, will you trust him? Will you trust him who is the resurrection and the life? Will you entrust yourself fully to him because he desires to be in a forever friendship with you? You can trust Jesus. Friend, I want you to today, let me know that you're entrusting your life with him. Wherever you're watching, just leave a comment and let us know, I'm choosing Jesus today. Maybe you're sensing a deeper need for a deeper commitment. You want to experience a total life transformation and you want to be baptized. Friends, I want you to head over to awr.org forward slash Bible and let us know. Click on the I have a question and simply ask, how can I be baptized? My dear friends, choose Jesus today. The one who holds us in his loving arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the truth of the Bible. We are so thankful we don't have to worry about death We're so thankful we don't have to worry about our loved ones who have died. We are so thankful that you hold each of us in your everlasting arms. Someday, when your son Jesus comes, he will place upon us that immortality that we will never part again. Lord, we pray that that day would happen soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My dear friends, God bless all of you. I truly hope that this program has touched your heart. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button to this video. Click on that subscribe button and and then just click that bell next to it so you can be notified of upcoming topics. And remember, don't forget to go to awr.org forward slash Bible. Check out all the resources that we have there. And most especially, sign up for one of our online Zoom Bible studies. We want to stay connected with you. Not only do we not want you to miss an episode of Unlocking Bible Prophecies Digging Deeper, we want you to become part of the Unlocking Bible Prophecies family. Remember, dear friends, there are many who purport to know the future. There's only one sure word of prophecy, and that is this book. Together, we'll continue to dig deep in Unlocking Bible Prophecies Digging Deeper. God bless you.